Are we recording now? You want me to do an intro real quick? Headphones on or off? Okay, so I just act like I'm talking. All right. Can I have more Nick in my headphones? Hello? That's better. Is that better? Yeah. Was it seductive talk? Seductive talk. It's like the most obnoxious part. Can you turn me down a little bit in mine? Yeah. Maybe up just a scotch. Yeah, 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 that's good. I was a little nervous. It's probably just my brain acting weird. So you don't want me doing this? Is that what you're saying? You don't want it more like over, because my mouth is here, the mic's over here. Just so you know, that's okay. Huh, that's nice. Okay. I thought of that on the way over. I'm like, I'm drinking diet soda. Why? Because I might burp. Why am I doing that? <laughs> but It's totally fine to burp. We've done worse. <laughs> I'll try not to. Is it Del Ritchie or Del Ritchie? Ritchie. Ritchie. Del Ritchie. Okay. Thank you for joining us on Longest War. On this episode, we have Navy veteran Lauren Del Ritchie. Huh. That's nice. All right, Lauren, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Doing good. Happy to be here, Nick. Thank you. Glad to have you. You are a veteran of the U.S. Navy. What year did you join the Navy? I graduated high school in uh, June of 2000 and went in right away in August. So I took a little bit of the summer. And you were 17? I was. Time? And so your parents had to sign off on Yeah, they had to waivers sign waivers. Mm -hmm. And what were their feelings about that? Later in life, I became an avid student. Uh, I can't say that for me at the tail end of high school. So they were happy to support a decision and where I was going to undergo some rigorous discipline and, you know, do something for my country. So why the Navy? Like, did you have family that was in the Navy or? No, my, um, I never met my father's father, but he was in the Army. Some Navy recruiters strategically posted a uh, a Navy recruiting poster on my father's, on the door of my father's store. And I worked there growing up. He had an electronics store in Medford, New Jersey, which is the town I'm from. And I remember seeing the poster and thinking, what is, what is the Navy? And I uh, you know, did a little homework, went over to the recruiter's office and promptly decided to join up and um, let my parents know after that. <laughs> so they didn't really have any heads up. So we've had a couple of Navy folks on the podcast, and I was surprised at how many can't swim still, even after being in the Navy? Did you know how to swim when you got to boot camp? I I definitely knew how to swim. I was on the swim team when I was a kid. We had a pool in my backyard, a beautiful home with an in-ground pool. So I was a little bit of a fish as a kid. We had friends that had boats at a yacht club. I mean, I, was, I loved the water. What did you join the Navy to do? <laughs> my father told me, you know, he said, you can join, you can go to any college you want within a six hour radius. And uh, I guess that just wasn't enough room for me. So I decided I kind of wanted to do it on my own volition. And the recruiters told me, you know, you can, you can earn your GI Bill. And that was a, that was a big point for me, as well as that really big map with all the little tax it has in it that says you can go all of these places. I was 17, you know, I had absolutely no fear. So just hearing that I could do this all on my own without having to be accountable, you know, to my parents at the time. Not that I don't love them and appreciate everything they did, but I was a very independent young woman, and I and I just wanted to kind of do things on my own. What was your MOS? I was a machinist mate. Um, at the time, they were giving a $2,000 signing bonus. Ooh, big money. <laughs> oh, yeah. At 17, that was like winning the lottery. That's huge, yeah. <laughs> so I became a machinist mate. Um and my A school was about three months after boot camp to learn the basic steam cycle was like the main lesson. Um, 
just to understand how the ship made the steam, which propelled, you know, the engine and, and the whole basic cycle of the way the ship mechanics works. All right. So I'm an army guy. So you're going to have to like really break this down like kindergarten style for me. Even what you just said, I don't know what any of that means. I, we I, have steamboats. <laughs> is that what it is? The Navy's got steamboats. Mine 2000? was an older ship. Yes. And was it wooden? No, it wasn't okay. wooden. I mean, they're the the fancy like the admiral's decks. Um, they were like show wood, like fancy polished wood. But overall, no, it just meant like instead of nu- being nuclear powered, being a nuclear ship, it was powered by good old fashioned steam. So you had two huge boilers that you would light off with like giant matchsticks, right? And then they'd open the portal for the, and you'd light it up. That basically produced all the power for everything else in the ship to work, every, from potable water all the way to, you know, the main turbine um, in the engine room, all the way to the air conditioning, to any any steam or what are we needed for cooking? That all started in the boiler room. So I don't know if this is a dumb question, but like, uh, were those, was that fresh water? The potable water. Well, I mean, like the stuff that they're turning into steam. <laughs> was that, did they just sucking that out of the, the ocean? salt water. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you didn't have to have like special. No. We basically turned so no the salt water into potable water, you know? Like desalination or whatever? Right. There was all that kind of stuff. Was now, there like a hint of lingering salt when you would drink it? <laughs> no. Really? Mm-hmm. Seems like a weird thing that, that we're able to do. Yeah, I have to admit to you, at the time when I went to A school, I graduated second in my class. It was probably about 30 of us. And anyone who graduated first, second, or third could put in their wish list for where they wanted to go. And if you graduated high enough in your class, you had pretty much a guarantee you were going to get to go where you wanted to go. So I had a really good understanding of all of the questions you asked me at the time. We're talking like 17 years later now. Sure. <laughs> so some of the details might be fuzzy. But I did. That's how I got to go to Japan, actually. That's a good you know, segue into how I got to go overseas. So what does a machinist make? Like, what are you, is your actual primary responsibility? All right. So they had a little bit of a, well, it's not a MO, it's a rate rating. It's like the same as MOS. You know, it's like the different jargons for the different branches. Like yeah. MOS is equal to what a rating is. So technically I was a, a, B, a BT was the rating that kind of went extinct, which stands for boiler technician. So... Machinist mate kind of broadened, like you could be an MM and work in the engine room or the boiler room, but I was technically a boiler technician because I was, I was only in the boiler room. Now, is that just because of that was your assignment or did you go to specific school for boiler stuff? I think that's why they changed it so that they could have more flexibility on the ship, like assign me to the boiler room or the engine room, not just have like, all right, she's a boiler tech. They might need an engine man. So send me over there. But I ended up a specialist in the boiler room. And so, again, like anything in the military hierarchy. So watch standing positions. You start at messenger where you go around and read, you know, all the gauges and make sure they're in parameters. Then after that's one alpha boilerman where you stare at a flame pattern for three to six hours, however long your watch is, and make sure that there's no abnormal flickering or abnormalities in the flame pattern, um, which would indicate kind of like the fuel sensor ratio in your car that regulates gas and oxygen, kind of the same idea. If there's any kind of like... Except for it's a dude staring at it instead (laughs) of a computer. Or a chick. Yeah. And it was like... Like, that's crazy. Exactly. That's got to be the worst (laughs) thing you could ever do is stare at a fire for six hours. And that was was not the lowliest guy. (laughs) That's when you got promoted from messenger. That yeah. sounds terrible. Did people just want to stay messengers? No, actually, they for some they for whatever stare reason. At the fire. <laughs> God, that sounds terrible. 
then there was like a couple feed pumps um, that needed, you know, a watchman. Then the main watch was like the main switchboard where you had comms with the with the main deck, you know, and they would send messages down to us whether they needed more steam, less steam, light off another boiler because we had two boilers. Usually it was just one. When we were quote unquote haze gray underway, we both usually had both lit off. Lighting off was like when you're a messenger. So maybe this was the incentive. You're making me think about it. Because when you become a boilerman, you know, you, you have the responsibility of lighting off the boiler or you have a piece of that responsibility. And that's kind of scary. Yeah. It's like lighting the, the most giant match you could imagine. It was probably like four or five feet long with like a head as big as this microphone head and dipping it literally into like an aluminum pan of fuel and then a Zippo, you know, light it off, shove it into the boiler and hope for the best. <laughs> And that scared me. I never wanted to do it. You're wearing, I would hope, like flame retardant clothing at this point. Of course. Did anybody ever like almost catch themselves on fire doing that? Thank God, not on my watch. I mean, I never heard of that happening, but it was certainly a fear. Sure. <laughs> oh. I know. I was scared every time I went down there. You know, that the boiler room was my part of my war zone. I mean, I never, thank God, had to had to engage in combat or anything like that. But every time I went down there, it was like like the, the air sucked out as soon as you went down there. It was really hot and really loud. I mean, I actually have some hearing loss because of it, but, you know, you're supposed to wear your ear plugs. Plus, they call them like Mickey Mouse ears uh, yeah. if you needed double hearing protection if it happened to be super loud that at that time. And how long like were you down there in a clip? Watches were six hours. So you could have like the mids, which would be like midnight to 6 a.m., we always kind of like rotated so that some one didn't get, you know, the mids all the time because you had to get some sleep. And then, you know, six and six on, six off. And then if it was a light day or a light shift, uh, three on, three off, which I preferred because the sixes were long. Three on, three off just for 24 hours? So like you only sleep like an hour and a half, two hours at a time, just several not, times? Not all the time, but, you know, it just depended on... It depended on the duty station, like you had different duty stations and you kind of rotated and it depended when you were going in port because there was a difference between when you were underway, which is more rigorous, and then when you were in port, which was kind of not as rigorous because you can hook up to shore power. You don't have to generate your own because you're not in the middle of the ocean. So when you go into shore somewhere, like could you guys, could everyone from the boiler room go on pass or did they need like, did you have to leave like half the people behind? Yeah, we were always last off, first on, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. And never at the same time. I mean, you might have a couple of your shipmates with you, but there was always a segment of the team that had to be in the boiler room, the engine room, just to maintain. Even when it wasn't running. Correct. We didn't have as much to do. Like I said, we could hook up to shore power, which gave us some power, but we also, um, you know, we had to maintain different different things. I mean... Aside from this team. You still had somebody staring at that flame, right? <laughs> no. Usually uh, oh, you catch a break. Powered, powered off the boilers when we pulled into shore, which was really relieving. It's like, uh, yeah, I can still remember them announcing like when it would be time to cut off the boilers. You'd be like, oh, thank God. <laughs> so how do you get power from the shore? They just like got a plug somewhere? They just plug it in? Yeah. Like literally it was like a big, like another big valve. I mean, the valves that I had to, I can precisely remember having come on like the one MC down there and they said, you know, secure one alpha feed pump. And this valve, I don't know how this was the size of the head. I was a little smaller at that time, but I was probably like 
I don't know, a buck 50, a buck 60. And I like literally had to hang on it to like, and then I called for help to have a guy try to help me and, and come and secure it because it was pretty much larger than life down there. I mean, the size of the pipes that carried the steam. When you would be out to sea, like how long was that for at a time? I know we've talked before about my ship. I was on the Blue Ridge, um, which which was definitely less intense as far as like time underway. So you would probably talk to sailors that said, man, I was out there for like three months before I got Liberty or whatever. But I think the longest time at a stretch I was ever underway was a week and a half at most, only because of our of our responsibility in the Navy. Which, you had the Admiral with you, right? right? We had... Um, she was kind of like his taxi. To we degree. were kind of like, yeah. And, and had all the radio comms. It was a signal ship, is that what they call it? Yeah. I mean, besides, like I've always explained, like pulling in and inviting local dignitaries on the ship to speak with them, we also, we had in our time, you know, the most, the most advanced and secure communications in the Navy. And that's why we had these air conditioned labs. We had to work so hard to keep cool, to keep all the equipment running. Right. So they keep their comms up. It was a trickle down effect. Did the Admiral, like, did he ever come down and like stare at the flame for a shift? I know. I can remember the captain down there, but never like on a watch shift. And just the captain to, like, is in the Navy. That's a bird. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a colonel. Right. They would come down there, the hobnob. The you admiral, know, admiral's not coming down to that boiler room. Definitely not. No, and I never saw the admiral down there. And it would be funny when people who weren't boiler mechanics came down there. They would be getting uh, qualifications for their ESWAS pin, ESWS, which is like a qualification that, like a little patch you get to, like, you know, show that you know all the functions of the ship, not just yours. Is that the dolphin one? No, it kind of looks like a, I don't know, like a fancy ship-looking thing. I can't really describe it. Like almost like a, a tattoo. Well, like it's one of those gold things that like Navy people wear on their uniforms, right? It's, it's gold in certain, certain uniforms, but I think it was white on the coveralls is where I saw it the most. But it was called ESWAS and ESWS. I kind of forget what that stands for. You know how many acronyms there are in the military. It's they been a would, long time too. Yeah, and they would come down there, and uh, we would just kind of poke fun at them because within minutes they would be like, "Oh my god, it's so hot down here." We were like, "Shut up." <laughs> Do this for six hours at a pop. Get out of here. But we were still supportive of them. So you get on the Blue Ridge. Like, is that like a duty station, like in the Army? Mm -hmm. Like, if I go to Fort Drum, that's a place where I'm at. Same thing. Like, you go to the Blue Ridge, and that's your boat. Yeah, they they send you to the pier with your sea bag and tow. And I can still remember it was so cold, and I showed up on the end of that pier, and the wind was, like, whipping. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? You know, and you got to walk up the bow. Uh, and then, you know, the officer of the watch is there, and you'd say, reporting for uh, Fireman Del Ritchie, reporting for duty, permission to come aboard, permission granted, come aboard. And, you know, that you go from there. They show you your rack, they show you your quarters, and it's exactly like reporting for duty at, in any other branch. And so you just go wherever that boat goes yep. for X amount of time. You are attached to that ship. And, you know, there was, I think, we called them southern swings. Like when I talk about being underway, we go out for three months at a pop, give or take. Um, and pull in and out of different ports over those three months. But when you were, you know, when you were in your pier, you were still working. You were still turning two. You were just, you know, doing preventative maintenance on the valve systems. And when you asked me if I ever caught on fire, if anyone ever caught on fire lighting off the boilers, it reminded me of when we were in port and I was doing preventative maintenance on a on a big valve. You're changing out the gaskets because you got to have a tight seal. You can't have any steam leaks, you know, when you light up. So we had properly secured, you know, you have to secure down the line to make sure that there's no pockets of steam that could potentially 
scold your face or whatever is, you know, and uh, I don't know if it was, I just didn't do it right or, or one of my shipmates, I can't recall the details, but I do remember being on a ladder and this steam valve was literally right in front of my face and you just heard this like, and I, and I remember, and then they were like, steam pocket. And I jumped down onto like the metal deck and just went like that, covered my face. And uh, it was a steam pocket and it came out of a 600 PSI steam valve. Jesus, that'll jack you and, uh, up. Oh, I almost, I almost screwed this moneymaker up. I mean, I know I'm on on the radio. You can't see it, but it's, it ain't bad. And I was like, can't ever mess with the moneymaker again. So, because we're not talking like the steam, <laughs> like when you're cooking soup on the stove, no. right? Like this. Think this about when you open the oven by accident. You off, stick right? your mug in there too fast, yeah. and you're like, you get like, oh, like, oh man, like. So uh, yeah, that was scary. That was the only time that like I ever really <laughs> had a close call. And that wasn't even underway. That's why I didn't think of it when you asked me before. That was like import. So where was the Blue Ridge? Where was its home port? Yakuska, Japan. So where did you get on the boat at? In Yakuska. So you flew to Yakuska? Yep. I flew from Philadelphia uh, International Airport to Yakuska in uh, my Navy <laughs> my Navy T-shirt, which I had specially made at a at a mall with my girlfriends. We thought it was hilarious like to get like an airbrushed T-shirt with a, a saying on the back that we thought was really funny because I found out that Navy new recruits were called seamen mm -hmm. or firemen or I think airmen too, if you were like, you know, working on the main deck. And so I got a, you know, those, remember those airbrush kiosks at the mall where you could like get shirts made, like funny caricatures on yeah. it or like whatever. So on the front. Super 90s stuff. <laughs> super 90s. Yeah. It was, was like turn of the century stuff right here. It was 2000. And me and my girlfriends, we were running up the escalators at the mall doing Navy training. I can still remember like it was yesterday. Like, Navy training, Navy training. And we were going down to the kiosk to pick up the T-shirt. And for some reason, we thought it was hilarious to put screaming semen on the back with a bunch of little semen. <laughs> that is funny. And I wore it. I literally wore it to boot to like report for boot camp. How'd that go over? <laughs> Not well. I left my belly button ringing and I had that t-shirt on. And there was a couple of times in the Navy where I got in trouble. They're like, oh, you think you're special? You think you're fancy? Like I forgot my cover one day and I had like cornrows in from one of the girls that did it at boot camp. I, yeah, it was, I had a couple of really funny experiences. So you're a problem child. Always. All right. So let's, let's go to Japan. So you go to Japan and then like you get on the boat. Where does the boat go? So when I got there, I went on the boat and let's see, I reported for duty in January because I went in for Christmas. So I got there in January, midway, midway through January. And um, we were underway within a couple months. Southern Swing was like in the Where spring. Where do you go when you're underway? So we leave and we hit, we hit a little bit of China. Saipan was my first port ever. And I remember that well. And then, you know, we hit Korea, um, continued down through, you know, like, we Which never Korea, stopped in North the or South? I was in Seoul. Definitely South. Which I'm pretty sure is South. Um, I don't want Did they shoot at you? No. So it was the South. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was definitely South Sorry Korea. Jack. <laughs> and then um, my favorite was like Guam. It was very Americanized. I like rented a car there. It was it was kind of fun to drive around. Well, and Guam's then, a territory, right? Yeah, it's a US yeah, territory. Yeah, it's one of us. Saipan. Basically a state. Thailand. And then the best of all was Australia. Then we went kind of down. We called it around the horn, go down around the horn, come up on the, on the far coast of Australia. And we hit five different ports. And that was just like amazing. I just really found Australia to be a really cool country. How long does that whole trip take? Three months. 
three months. And like how long, so when you'd go to Australia, like how long were you in port for? Anywhere from three days to like one day I had like six hours of liberty. So we were, what was that one? That was called Townsville. It was like a really small port, a real native area where there was a lot of Aborigines and stuff like that. Townsville, real, real small. And then, but Sydney, like, I think we had like three days there. When you say three days, like how long could you, could you be gone from the ship for three days? I think I had one, like, if I, if there was three days of Liberty, I probably had one day of duty and then two days of Liberty. Uh, and that was split up on like a rotating, on a rotating basis. So would it ever be like one day Liberty, then working and then another day of Liberty? If you got lucky. Yeah. Like sometimes, like sometimes if it was three on three off and like you hit the, hit the cycle on the wrong part, you would have less time ashore and more time on board, but it kind of always evened out. Like what, what's the point of going into port just so you guys could screw around? Yeah. You know, you got to get your sailor. You heard the saying, you know, drunken sailors, they didn't earn that title. (laughs) You know, it wasn't easy. No, but we went in, um, we had an MWR department, which stood for morale, welfare and recreation. And they would do tours and stuff for us, you know, uh, for quality of life. And, but mostly for the Blue Ridge, it was to bring if the admiral was there or the captain or whoever was there and invite the local dignitaries. Like, I, like for example, Russia. One time we, on my second Southern Swing, we pulled into Vladivostok, Russia. And <laughs> there was uh, we brought their local dignitaries on board, which I'm pretty sure was like the Russian mob at the time. <laughs> like It wasn't like governors and stuff. And there was like a casino ship docked in the port in the pier right next to our ship. And so basically in Russia, this is a funny story you'll like this, Nick. What do you think, when you think of Russia, what do you think of? Like, what's their main export? Vodka. Yeah. (laughs) So obviously we flocked to that, like Moss to the Flames. They had, I remember like wooden stands all over town. And for some ungodly reason, we would wear the uniform according to the season it was where we pulled in. So in Russia, we had to wear our whites and the ground was like mud, just Everywhere. So just picture a bunch of sailors running out in their dress whites or working white uniforms and just mud grounds and like wooden stands all over selling pure Russian vodka. So the ship said, you're allowed to bring on board, I think it was like a one bottle each sailor or two bottles each sailor. And the master at arms have um, like a small brig, like a small jail cell in the in their office. So you would bring the vodka aboard, hand it over to the master at arms and they'd lock it up in their brig. So that you couldn't like drink it on board. Because I'm not that Navy. I'm not like 1970s Navy where you had like beer and stuff. 2000 Navy. Where... That's Kevin's Navy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, that was a good memory. And so like some sailors went out, did that. And then there was a casino ship. Um, casino. It was a really cool boat right next door. And we went over there and had some fun. So we did. It was a combination of R&R for the sailors and, you know, PR for, for the Navy. Were there things that were like off limits? Like would they have a list of like shit you couldn't Absolutely. get into? We would have cards. Like like I found, I was cleaning out some old wallets and stuff a couple months ago when I was moving. And there was, a, I think it was the one from Korea. Actually, I was just talking about Seoul. It was like this port card, they called it. And they would have familiar sayings on there, like get me a taxi, take me back to the ship. Can't remember any more examples, but, and then there would definitely be briefings before you went to any port. Like in Australia, I'm pretty sure they told us not to swim in the waters because there was boxed jellyfish. Like those ginormous ones are like the size of you. Mm -hmm. I must've missed that briefing (laughs) because I went swimming in the water. 
So it was like the army. Like we'd have a list of off limits yeah. things. And it was like the first places you go to. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Go out for three months. And then how long would you be back in Japan for before you have to go out again? Well, we would just do that once a year, basically. Like we would go out and do exercises, training exercises maybe, and just go pill around in, in, the, in the ocean for a while and come back. But southern swings were once a year. So when you were in port for your extended period, was it still like six on, six off? No, it was more relaxed. Definitely more relaxed import. And for a, a pretty long period of time, we were in a barge. All the personnel from the ship, there was a thousand of us, moved over to this barge because uh, local contractors were doing work on the ship. It was an old ship. So so what is a barge? Like, what does that mean? Like a floating, crappy hotel. <laughs> it's so a just, ship. So what do you do? You just that hang has out racks there? In it. It's basically where you sleep, where you shower, you know, and then you go back to the ship to work. But you had to go back to the barge. It was like TAD, like temporary assigned to the barge because the ship was not livable, basically, because some of the berthings were being worked on or areas yeah. around the berthings were being worked on. How so do you we do PT there. when you're on a boat? Well, when we're underway, you run around the main deck. They had a gym in the in the in one of the compartments of the ship. Small, It wasn't too small, but it was a gym. And then I, I loved running around the main deck underway. I mean, there was a lot of up and down. yeah. But I got used to that. I wasn't, that, that didn't really phase me at all. Like I never got seasick. I know we talked a little bit about this before, but I never would got seasick. And actually I would run and like with the up and down of the ship, you know what I mean? Like when a ship was going down, it was kind of like the gravity was harder. So you were like pushing when the ship was going up. It was like helping you run. I can remember. Like I can imagine what I think what you're talking about, but nah, I've always stayed on the ground. So <laughs> I'm not familiar with that. You don't really that have works. anywhere else to run because the ship has, you know, filled with knee knockers. I mean, the, cause you have the watertight hatches. So trying to run, like when you'd have to run for GQ, I mean, you have to like, like running through the, the hallways. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, it's hard, especially when you're tall. So like when you had storms and stuff, like so this is a big boat. How long was it? I don't know. I can't lie. I'm not going to pretend that I know how long my ship was. But it was like more than like a hundred. It was a little feet, bit bigger right? than a destroyer. Thousand people on it. Yes, so it's pretty big. You could be out like in a, a hurricane. Typhoons were big in Japan. Could you be out to sea in one of those and be all right? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of times when we knew they were coming, we'd avoid them. <laughs> you didn't like, sure. You yeah, didn't like I hope say. So. All right, there's a typhoon coming. Like, so if you couldn't avoid it, you had, you had to hang on and you had to do the best you could and go go with the swells. I know you guys can't see the picture, but there was that picture I shared with you in like 30-foot swells where you could obviously tell the ship was like sideways. I've actually had nightmares since the Navy like that. I was upside down in a ship, like Pearl Harbor style. Yeah. The machinist mates like banging on the hatch like the, to get out. Like the Arizona? Yeah. yeah that's got to be the, the most horrific way to possibly... Yeah. 600 feet. 600, 600 feet. feet. Man, that's big. Uh, what is this? What's beam 100 feet? What does that mean? Width? And what's draft? 30 feet. So it goes 30 feet below the water line. Yeah. So I was eight decks below sea level in the boiler room. Oh, no. That's a coffin. That's Absolutely. what that is. They actually call it a racks, coffin racks, because they opened like a coffin would. And there was four compartments where you put your stuff, your personals. So... Yeah. So this is like Inception now because that's like a coffin within a coffin within a coffin. <laughs> nah. That's why when I said when I'd go down to the boiler room, it would like, you know, you, you, how you, uh, when you go in a high altitudes or altitude change, your ears like adjust like in airplanes and stuff. When you go, when I'd get down to the boiler room, it would literally like suck into my ears. Like it would, it was a total difference in pressure because you're eight decks below sea level. This boat was built in 1967. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's due to remain in service until 2039. Mm-hmm. God bless them on that ship these days. Man, oh, man. Yeah. You guys had machine guns. Mm-hmm. We sure did. Bushmaster cannons. Did you get to shoot those? I wasn't. You had rockets, too? I wasn't qualified. But yeah, but we were we were pretty protected. You, you know? had helicopters? We did. Did you get to fly one of those? <laughs> no, but we, we go to flight quarters very often. And so basically when the only reason flight quarters affected me, general quarters, you know, I was a you know, I had a part in flight quarters was all the airmen and all the guys on the on the flight deck. When the Hilo, would, we called it the bird, when the bird would go in and out carrying whoever it was carrying, they would secure smoking on the sponsons. So everyone that smoked cigarettes would get really pissed off when it was time for flight quarters because they couldn't smoke their cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's here. The Blue Ridge is now the Navy's oldest deployable ship. Wow. How about that? I really do believe it because... I'm not sure there's many steam propulsion ships left. When I went over to the Nimitz in San Diego, that was nuke. That was a nuclear. You know, they didn't have steam. So I don't know. I'd be interested. I haven't really looked into it to see how many steam propulsion ships there are left. You were in Japan. And then where was your next duty assignment after that? The USS Nimitz CVN-68 was an aircraft carrier out of uh, Coronado Island in San Diego, California. And I went to that ship first. I mean, when I come back and explain to you the dynamic a little bit about why I did two years, because it's not usual that you'll do two years on one type of ship and then be sent to, you know, back stateside to go and do something. So I ended up being an air conditioning and refrigeration tech, ACNR, on the Nimitz because they were nuclear and I wasn't qualified for nuclear shit. <laughs> so, is that um, a technical term, right? That is a technical term, absolutely. But I, I did a lot of messaging and roving, uh, monitoring AC and R equipment on the Nimitz. Went underway with them for a little bit of time. 5,000 people versus 1,000 people on the Blue Ridge, so floating city. Yeah, and like so carriers, like that was, is the Nimitz, I've heard of the Nimitz. Is that like a more modern one? You probably heard of Nimitz because of Admiral Nimitz. He's pretty popular. I know Admiral Nimitz, but yeah. like I think I've, I've heard specifically of the ship Every time I mention that, people usually know it. I'm not sure why it's popular, but um, it is pretty a, a pretty well-known carrier. Is it? It's relatively new, like within the last 25 years, new 30 years. I'm not sure of the commission date of the Nimitz. Blue Ridge was kind of my baby. You know, it's like my first ship. I kind of know a little bit more um, about the dynamics of the Blue Ridge and the history of it. But the Nimitz, man, I just rode that thing for a few months. Couldn't wait to get off of it, to be honest with you, because it was too. It was larger than light. I mean, it was yeah. five thousand people. It was literally like a floating city. Like there were parts of the ship you never even saw, right? Never. And like a man died on board. He had a heart attack while he was fixing an airplane. They like mustered us. Muster is a Navy term for kind of like calling you all to you know to get into ranks. Mm -hmm. So they mustered us. I remember like in the middle of the night just to have a moment of silence because this dude, it was just like unreal that that had happened. And I'm like, where do they put him? Yeah. In the freezer. They, so they didn't, they didn't Next throw to the food that we eat. They didn't throw him in the water? No. They don't bury it at sea? They did that with Bin Laden. Yeah. They didn't do that with like... They don't do that with our guys. It's not like a typical thing <laughs> that they do. Do they send like a plane or a helicopter no, to come I, get I, him? No, honest, honest to God, I think I remember they put him, like they froze him to preserve him, to preserve his body and then, you know, did what they needed to do when we when we came back to or, or flew him off or whatever. But temporarily, I know that, you know, the word around the ship was they put him in the freezer. That's crazy. All right, Lord, thanks so much for joining us today. Had a good time. Thank you, Nick.
by really fast. Wow. We could always do a part two. Yeah, you want to save the, because I don't want to try to smush all the heavy stuff into five minutes. Yeah, that would not be good. You're down to do a part two though, right? Absolutely. All right, cool. Well, that'd be good to split it up into a two-parter. I think it's a good idea. I'm definitely willing to come back and share the not-so-light aspects of serving as a female in a predominantly male Navy and the struggles, the struggles that ensued because of that. Like, I'm more than happy to come back and share a little bit about that if you think it's a good idea. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We could have some Navy folks, um, so two people in the same room that know what they're talking about together. That'd always be nice. So I'm gonna list things, and you tell me if they had them on our aircraft carrier. All right, movie theater. No. Bowling alley. Definitely not a bowling alley. Gun range. No. Swimming pool. No, but that's kind of funny because when new shipmates would come aboard, we would tell them, you gotta go up to the main deck and find the swimming pool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, obviously there's no pool, but I, that was a good one because they did say that. Like, go find the swimming pool. <laughs> like, so at Fort Drum, like, it would snow, like, nonstop. So like we would have guys outside in the snow like sweeping the sidewalk <laughs> and it's like literally coming down like an inch every 15 minutes or so <laughs> get out there with a broom. I went to Fort Drum on leisure one time. That was a hell of a base. Leisure? Nothing leisurely about Fort Drum. All right, so let's just talk some shit about the Navy for a little bit. Does that work? How does a sailor remove a condom? Ready? You f <laughs> That's <laughs> Nick. <laughs> I've got so many Navy jokes, man. No, you can't. Huh, that's nice.